Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim. All right. Just so you know, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to be teaching out of Ezekiel today. Ezekiel chapter 36. It's probably on a different page in your Bible than it is in mine. So we started last week a new series, and that new series is titled Reframed. We have been reframed through Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? That means that Jesus changed everything. God in the new covenant established through Christ Jesus, deals with his people differently than how he dealt with them in the old covenant before Jesus. We have been reframed. We are, we are looked at the same, but dealt with differently. And so, last week we started this reframe series, Jesus Changes Everything, by talking about two pictures. And it's the theme I'm hoping to go with the, the entire series is to look at who we were versus who we've been changed to be versus who we've been reframed to be. Last week we talked about we were deserving of wrath, but now Jesus gave us relationship. That we were dead in our sins, that we were bound to an eternal hell, separated from God in this picture. But in this picture, relationship reconciliation that he didn't just redeem us by the power of his blood which he did but he also in saving us reconciled us the bible says that that we belong to him as sons and daughters that he has adopted us and so we've moved from deserving wrath to praise god being in relationship through the work of christ jesus and so this week, I want to talk to you about from stone to flesh. Jesus reframed us, having redeemed and reconciled us last week. And then he placed a stone, uh, he replaced a heart of stone with a heart of flesh in us. Which means that in our salvation, he created an intimacy with us. By giving us His Spirit. This kind of sensitivity. We, should, we know what God wants from us as believers. We know what God expects from us. Or we should know. We know the things we should be doing versus the things we shouldn't be doing. For one reason. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And this kind of intimacy, this kind of sensitivity only comes through the relationship available because of the teaching last week. That we were people of wrath, sons of disobedience, but now in relationship. Understanding sensitivity towards others happens in relationship. 
me explain what I mean. When I was a young man, there was a time. When I was a young man, I was raised by my papa. Most of you guys know that. I knew without my papa saying a single word to me when I was in trouble. Like he was a kind of a burly dude anyway. You walk into the house. Sometimes you didn't even have to get into the house. There was like this 12-foot rule from the house. You could just feel it. But I'd walk in the house, and he would look at me like this. Y'all know, y'all don't get freaked out, because some of y'all know this look. And I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was really in trouble when he looked at me like that for about five seconds, lowered his voice, and said this, Jim Bob, he didn't tell me what the problem was. I just knew there was a problem. You know how I knew there was a problem? Because he and I had an intimate relationship and I understood who he was. It happened the same when I was a young man and in the military. Your platoon started walking in a room, things aren't like they're supposed to be, or you've done something stupid. We stole a bus from the motor pool one day. I think I could say that on film because the statute of limitations is over. <laughs> we stole a bus out of the motor pool one day. We got in a lot of trouble for that. But he walked in a room, and you knew, he knew that you did without him saying a word. Why? Because you knew him and had a relationship with him. Same thing happens for those of us that are married. <laughs> I can walk in my house from time to time. Well, not me. Probably mo more you guys. But I know some of you guys walk in your house from time to time and you had a busy day at work and you're not sure exactly what happened, but you kind of walk in there and you take the first step inside the house and you're all... Because <whistles> you're oblivious because you're a dude, right? And you're all... She's on the other side of the house. She hasn't said a word. But you know something ain't right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, Brother Leonard? <laughs> and you know something ain't right. And so you ask her, baby, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> well, if I, was, if I was uncertain before, I'm certain now. How can we have such confidence? How can I have such confidence to know what my papa expected of me? How can I have such confidence to know about my sergeant or my wife or my kids? My daughter comes up to me. She'll every night. This is how she's been calling me dad since she was like five, which I I hate that. I'm I'm a daddy, right? There's nothing like a five year old walking up to you and go, "What's up, dad?" So I'm dad unless she needs something. She doesn't have to explain what that need is. She doesn't need to tell me how much money she needs because that's the need. She just has to walk up to me. Hey, daddy. And I call Angela, how much money do we have in the bank? I don't even know what she needs. But because of our intimacy, our relationship, I know that she needs something from me. Same thing happens to me as your pastor. 
Can I tell you, I pray for this congregation every day that God show me where you're hurting, where you're struggling, where you're in need. Some of you won't even make eye contact with me because we know each other well enough that you're afraid I'm going to see whatever it is you're doing. And there's sometimes y'all make me fussy enough that I don't look at y'all because y'all be thinking, oh, I know he's mad at me. <laughs> but it happens in intimacy. All of these things, all of these knowings are a product of intimacy. I know what they want because I know them. God gave us a heart of flesh. So that we could know what he wants because we know him. I tell the funny stories for that. That's it. Because as we grow in understanding of him, we know what he expects of us. But it hasn't always been that way. He moved us from stone to flesh, which means pre-salvation in the old covenant times they didn't have the benefit of that intimacy with God. There was no sensitivity to the Spirit. We had a heart of stone. They had a heart of stone, which means there was no sensitivity to the Spirit. I'm going to read you a verse that you're very familiar with. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. Prior to Jesus, this was our condition. We were dead, free of internal or external stimuli, without spiritual life. We didn't even know that what we were doing was wrong. Y'all ever been around somebody? Angel and I used to. We used to minister to a group of folks. We love that. But some of them just didn't know they didn't know. You ever been around somebody like that? Like you can't even be mad at them because they didn't know that they didn't know. Do you know that was all of our condition before Jesus? So many of us spend so much time, pardon the expression, kicking a dog for being a dog. An animal is going to do what an animal does. It's going to fulfill its need. It's going to do and be what it is by its very nature. And with no spirit in us, with no Holy Spirit in them, they would have been animals being animals. We were animals being animals, dead in our trespasses and sin. And we want to spend time yelling at people because of the sin that they're in. Well, you're going to go to hell because you're a homosexual. That's the truth. But love them anyway and preach the gospel to them because only through the gospel will they awaken from their dead state to their life state. And I could say homosexuals. I could say liars. I could say all of these other sins and all of these things. But can I tell you one thing that's absolutely true? It's kind of a sidebar is nobody has ever been or will ever be yelled at and cussed at into heaven. We expect those around us to act like we act now, knowing that we come from their condition. 
And it's just not fair. It's not right, and it's contrary to the Word of God. Our responsibility is to love them, serve them, speak kindly to them, which is to preach them the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of salvation, of God unto salvation, both to the Jew and the Gentile. So the only way to move someone from death to life is the power of God. And the power of God for salvation is what? The gospel. Amen? I say all that just to say, we were dead in our trespasses. They were dead in their trespasses. We must never forget where we came from. Please talk to people that don't look like you. That don't act like you. They don't have the same moral standards or character that you have. Because they are in the same place spiritually that you were before Jesus. What better way to prove that God did something in you than to have a talk with them in the middle of your workplace about Jesus and watch the Spirit move and call them into His kingdom? Sounded very specific. D.W. got the opportunity to do that this week at his shop. Why? Because we don't forget where we come from. But where we come from is a horrible place. It was horrible because we didn't have the Spirit of God in us. Ephesians 2.12 says this, Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ. I used this text on Wednesday, but it's so appropriate. Remember that you were at the time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, Pastor Jim, man, you're dark. Yes, because this picture that we were reframed out of is ugly. It's horrible. It's damnable. But there's a better picture coming. But you don't appreciate the beauty of this picture if you don't understand the horror of this picture. And the horror of this picture is that we were separate, excluded, strangers, no hope, and without God. Because we didn't carry the Spirit of God in us. They didn't carry the Spirit of God in them in the Old Covenant. The Spirit didn't indwell them. The Spirit enabled them. And what I mean by that is this. You know you have the benefit of the holy, magnificent, creator, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God living inside of you. I mean, that's a lot of words that I don't understand. That's a lot of words I don't understand. I just read them in a book. But let me tell you, God's bigger than you, and He put His Spirit in you. But there was a time when people didn't have the Spirit living in them. The Spirit fell on them for a specific purpose. It was placed upon individuals to do the work that God assigned them. 1 Samuel 10.10 10 says, When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, him being Saul, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. Did y'all catch that? 
The Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God fell on him. So that he prophesied among them. Judges 3.10 The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Which means it rested on him. It came to enable him. It never indwelled him. He never indwelled him. He rested on them. Listen, this is important. Because this was what, if you had any relationship with God at all, this is the relationship that you could have. Uh, a resting on, not an indwelling in. Not only was the Spirit limited to certain individuals, the extent of that enabling was limited. God used people as He saw fit, but didn't place His Spirit inside of them. There's another judge, some of you guys may be familiar with, his name Sam, uh, Samson. Samson was strong, if you ever read about it, I don't, I'm not, I don't have time to get into it, but he was gifted with strength. The power of God rested on him to give him supernatural strength. And that strength, for whatever reason, resided in his hair. It's not the case for me, praise the Lord. <laughs> but listen to this. Judges 14, 19. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson to empower him. Judges 16, 20. The Spirit of the Lord left Samson. Judges 16, 28. The Spirit of the Lord returns to Samson. I heard a guy... Not very long ago, he goes, I, I believe God's taken his anointing off my life. Let me tell you, you can disqualify yourself from some things. But if you're a Christian, God hasn't taken his anointing off your life. Anointing is a big, huge spiritual word for the presence of God. If you're saved, the presence of God is living inside of you. You are anointed. To do what God has called you. What God has gifted you to do. But they didn't have that. All they had. Was the enabling. Not the indwelling. There was no internal conviction. Because there was no. Because they were externally motivated. We can read that again. There was no internal conviction. Because they were only externally motivated. Imagine living without any understanding of the eternal consequence of your sin. Imagine just flipping through life. I used to think, I used to read through the Old Testament and still do from time to time, and I think, those are the stupidest people that have ever walked the face of the earth. They saw the manifest presence of God do miraculous things. Just in the life of Moses, walking through the desert, you saw God parting the Red Sea. You saw manna falling from heaven. You saw quail falling from the sky. You, you watched as water flowed from a rock. You watched clothes after 40 years not wear out. The mountain with the thunder and the clouds and the audible voice of God. All these incredibly miraculous things. I like to think, man, if I saw that, I would never sin again. 
And without the Spirit of God living in me, I'd be a liar. Because that's exactly what happened to them. They saw it all and died in the desert anyway, complaining. Why? Because they didn't have the Spirit living in them to internally motivate them. All they had was the external motivation of the law. Let me read this to you. Romans 3.20 Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. All the law could do is make us aware of our sin. It can't perfect us. Knowledge is head information. It has to move from our head to our heart. And it can't move from our head to our heart with a heart of stone. We have to have a heart of flesh. Otherwise, all we have is an external motivation. Why couldn't the law make them righteous? Because it was never intended to make them righteous. External motivation almost never works. I can prove this to you. I've had a gym membership for three years. I got it right here. Check this out. This is my Sports Village gym membership right there. It's got my membership number and everything on it. I got this because I was externally motivated to not be fat anymore. I looked at myself one day. I was just got out of the shower. I won't gross you out with any of the details, but essentially I'm all, how did you get a 49-year-old man body? Look like 200, none of your business, pounds of chewed bubble gum. And so I was like, you know what? I'm tired of looking like this. So I went and got a gym membership. You know how many times I've been to the gym since I got this membership? Counting the time that I picked this membership up? <laughs> Once. <laughs> I've not been to the Like, I drive by there all the time. And I'm all, I'm a member of that gym. Because <laughs> I, like, I feel like I'm stronger for carrying this around. But the fact of the matter is, this can't make me who I desire to be. Because it's external. An external motivator will only work in two circumstances. When you're constantly thinking about it. Or when the pleasure of whatever else you want to do doesn't outweigh it. Do you understand what I'm saying there? The external motivation works as long as i'm thinking gotta lose weight 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 at some point my mind's going to drift i'm gonna start thinking something else but the second the cheeseburger has greater reward than the sweat the external motivation no longer works this is our condition before god gave us a heart of flesh we didn't have the ability to go I'm going to be right, 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 because there's no amount of discipline that's going to cause you to be righteous. And there's always going to be some sin, something, some pet issue that you have that's going to bring you pleasure that you would rather have immediately than to sustain and chase after a lifelong Christ-likeness. 
And this is exactly what happens when we have a heart of stone. We have no conscious of our sin. We're externally motivated. Hebrews 10.2 says this, Otherwise, would they have not ceased the offerings of the Old Testament to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sin. We didn't have consciousness of sin. They don't have consciousness of sin. It's called a stone for a reason. Because if you throw something at it, it's just going to bounce off it. We were spiritual, and I, I don't know if this is technically medically right, but we were spiritual sociopaths. A spiritual sociopath is someone that has no conscience, no understanding, true understanding of God. But, and we love the but, as ugly as this is, as separated as we were, as, as, as little or zero hope as we had, Jesus moved on our behalf. Jesus gave us a heart of flesh. A heart that is sensitive to the Spirit. In this passage, Ezekiel says, I will put my Spirit in you. He has given us a new heart, a heart of flesh, and placed His Spirit inside of us. John 14, 18 through 20, Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. He's, he's in the middle of talking to his disciples about leaving. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's trying to comfort them. I will come to you. After a while, while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Can I offer you a little comfort this morning? Comfort that starts with these words. I will not leave you as orphans. Christ put his spirit in you because he loves you. He has adopted you. He calls you his sons and daughters. He loves you enough to ensure that you understand your value to him. When I say God placed his spirit in me, God placed his spirit in you, I, I'm using elementary words because I don't have the words. I don't know how to articulate as many times and as often as I've tried since I was saved in 2006 to say the all-powerful, all-knowing, God that created everything by just simply saying it was so. The protector. The, one, the strong tower. The one that holds you in his righteous right hand. That God. That God that has promised to take away our sins and has nailed them to the cross. The things that we have talked about. That God that has defeated the enemy of, of our soul lives inside of us. Wow. 
like we should just praise God for that. Because I'll tell you, unless you have just had your mind completely blown, you don't understand it. But that's okay. I'm telling you, I don't understand it too. That's why I said I don't have the words for it. But it doesn't mean I don't praise God that he decided instead of a heart of stone to give me a heart of flesh so that I wouldn't walk around feeling like an orphan. I wouldn't walk around feeling like I was lo- alone, like I was, that it was necessary that I tend to myself. He gave us his spirit so that we could have some things, so that we could know some things. So that we can have a certificate that we belong to Him. The Holy Spirit is a seal to us. To know that we belong to Him. And one of the things that the filling of the Spirit brings, the, the, the giving of a heart of flesh, is a, is a spirit of empowerment. Our heart of flesh is the spirit of empowerment. Let me read this. Ephesians 3.16 That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Does anybody have any idea what the riches of God's glory are? That means the full weight of His riches. Because He's granted you strength according to the full weight of His strength. Wait, what? I know. It should blow your mind. We should be leaving here with our mind blown. Because he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power. Through what? Through his spirit in the inner man. He gave you his spirit so that you might be strengthened according to his power to walk out Christ's likeness. You've been empowered to walk out Christ's likeness. You have been empowered in your inner man. To become who God created you to be. Please listen to me. Because some of us, sadly, from time to time, live like we're still going to hell. God did not empower us for us to abuse abuse that empowerment. He expects us and has given us the ability to move from victory to victory, from glory to glory. By the power of His Holy Spirit. I'm not the same as I was in 2006. But praise God, in 2030, I'm not going to be the same as I was in 2020. You know why? Because God empowers by His Holy Spirit us to become more and more like Him. This should be the exception, this should be the rule, not the exception. A spirit-filled believer should be powerful, strong, confident, and capable as the rule, not the exception. It's the reason why I hate worse than anything, probably. Eh, probably not. It, but, I, but I don't like it. How about that? <laughs> to see Christians going like this. Well, I don't know. I guess the Lord loves me. He ain't killed me yet. My goodness, man. God put His Spirit in you to empower you. How about you rock back with your shoulders back 
pick your head up and declare the magnificence of who God is. Because he didn't have to do it. He could have left you in that same miserable state, but decided to send his son Jesus while you were still sinners, and then gave you the spirit that he has so that you can be empowered to walk out Christ's likeness. So that you could be like him. God, that's so good. But not just empowerment for you. Empowerment for those around you. If you think God gave you salvation just for you, you're wrong. God gave you salvation for His glory. Did you hear me? So that He might be praised amongst the people. So that the enemies of God might look at you and say, He was one of us. How could God love him when he was as bad as I was, am? Pastor Davis asked me one time, he said, why do you go to church here? Back when I went to my other church, my pastor, just so you know, killed somebody. He'll tell that. I'm not telling any of his secrets. He said, why do you go to church here? I said, I'll tell you why I go to church here. And I'm going to sum this up short. I said, I go to church here because you're a murderer. And God forgave you. And God gave you a ministry. And God has empowered you to reach other people. And I'm one of those other people. And if God can use you, and I've never killed anybody, I figure God can use me. Can I tell you, there's nothing you've done that God can't still use you for? If you're saved, if you're, a, if you're Paul, pre-Jesus, you're still good enough to be used. Paul killed Christians for a living. Like went house to house, had a letter that says that they could drag people out of their house. And God used him. Well, I sure do cuss a lot. <laughs> yeah. God can still use you. But you don't understand, I've got an addiction. Not killing Christians. God can still use you. And then He's going to take that mess that was your life and give you a testimony in it. There's a young man fills our podium on Friday nights. Just if you most of you are aware, there's another church that meets here on Fridays. It's called We Are Church, pastored by a friend of mine. We gave him a place when the school shut down. He was pastoring in a church. And can I tell you, before he came to know Jesus, he was a gangbanger and a heroin addict. And he's reaching people for Jesus that I'll never get to reach. Because his message is different than mine, but his spirit is the same. He has empowered us. Acts 1.8 says it simply. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Stop telling yourself you can't do it. God gave you a heart of flesh, empowered you with His Spirit to prove that you can do it. 
Because the fact of the matter is, all you are is the grocery sack anyway. You know what? You're just bringing the stuff that they want. Nobody puts their their food in the trash and puts their bag in the refrigerator. Nobody wants the bag. Be the person that nobody wants for the sake of the food. But I can't do it. You can. You know, there was another guy in your Bible that wasn't sure he could believe. Doubting Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I can see his hands, unless I can put my finger in the hole in his hand. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what, the doubter, which cracks me up because we called him the doubter. The doubter walked before there were highways, before there were interstates and cars and bicycles, through deserts, mountains, jungle. He walked from Jerusalem to Chennai, India, where he gave his life ultimately for the gospel. And that doesn't mean anything to us because we don't know anything about the, the geography of the area. But can I tell you that distance is 100 miles shorter than it is from Miami to Seattle, Washington. That brother walked and was empowered by the Spirit through mountains, deserts, and jungles to preach the gospel to people that would ultimately kill him. But God used him anyway. Isn't that awesome? Our heart of flesh is seen in our confidence because with that kind of empowerment, should come confidence. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. Depending on which version you read, it might say in different places in that chapter, it says helper, counselor, comforter. All of those words come from the same word, which is paraclete, which means I'm going to give someone to you to come alongside of you. God has given you His Spirit, His power, His ability, His strength, His wisdom to walk alongside of you. And we're walking with no confidence? Man, we should be the boldest people on earth. We should be standing up in the workplace, in the city square, not abdicating our responsibility, but standing in it recognizing that we hold in our mouth and in our heart of flesh the only thing that can save the world from the decrepit state that it's in. You are the salt. You know what that means? That means it's your responsibility. I've heard a thousand people say a thousand reasons why salt was important back in the day. The fact of the matter is salt was primarily used to stop decay. So when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, then you are here to stop the continued decay of the world through the gospel message. And He's empowered us to do it. Praise God for that. It's time that we start being who God called us to be, to walk in the confidence that God gave us. Now, there's two kinds of confidence. There's a soothing comfort. And by that, I mean it's, it's, it's the kind of comfort that just makes you want to wrap a blanket around yourself and just know that everything's going to be okay. You guys ever felt like that? God gives us that kind of confidence. It's the confidence that, that is an, 
I was going to say an old man. It's a confidence that is me. My wife took a picture of me the other day. I was, I was, I had a, I had a sweater on, cardigan specifically, shoes and socks, reading a book with my reading glasses on, pulled down to here so I could still watch the TV, in a high back chair, and a blanket over my legs. I'm not old enough for that. I didn't think. Maybe I am. But let me tell you, that's the kind of comfort that the Holy Spirit can bring you. That warmth, that knowing. That's the kind of confidence God, through his helper, through his paraclete, wants you to have. But not just that kind of confidence, the strengthening kind of confidence, too. The boldness kind of confidence, too. How much harder would we fight to stand firm if we really knew that the victory was already won. People are all, yeah, I know the victory's been won. Do you really know that the victory's already won? I think a vast percentage of the reason the Christian doesn't walk the confident, victorious life that we're called to walk is because we don't understand that that victory isn't ours to take. That victory's already been had. Our responsibility is to stand firm in it. And we can have confidence to do that as God gives us a spirit of flesh, as he's reframed us, both with empowerment and confidence. Our heart of flesh is seen in submission. This will be the last point I make. Our heart of flesh should bring us to a place of submission. First, submission to the spirit of truth. You know what the spirit of truth is? The word of God. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Don't be one of those hyper-spiritual goobers that's all, Lord told me such and such, Lord told me such and such, God talking to you more than he's talking to Moses. And keep your Bible closed. This is the primary way God talks to his people. Some of y'all are still jacked up. I said goober from the platform. But y'all know those people I'm talking about, right? This is, the, the, my point in that is this is the way, the primary way that God speaks to his people. We can't submit to a truth we don't know. Read your word. I know I sound like a broken record up here because it seems like every time I'm up here, I'm telling you, read your word. People come up to me, they say, Pastor Jim, I got a problem. Can you help me with such and such? And I say, I say, you got a problem. I help you with such and such. What does the word say? Well, I don't know. You can know. God never talks to me. <sighs> Blow the dust off your Bible. He'll talk to you every day. We have to learn to submit to that, though. Because in submission comes obedience. 
and obedience proves that we belong to him. First John 2, 4, and I love this because it's so black and white. It says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. I'm not calling you a liar. I'm not calling anybody a liar. The Bible says, if you don't keep his commandments, which means, which infers that you have to know what his commandments are, then you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. Read your word. Be submissive to the word. Accept the things that are hard. Don't coddle your pet sin. Well, I'm going to do such and such and such and such because it's beneficial to me. It's beneficial to you in this life, but it's going to send you straight to hell. That's just real talk. We have Brenda and Ski back this morning, and I'm going to tell a little bit of your story because it came to me to do it. They li- I hope you don't mind. I'm going to do it anyway. They, they lived together for a long time. I thought they were married. We preached a sermon one day about sin, something. And both of them were convicted and came up to me and they said, Pastor, we need to get this right. We're living together. Miss Brenda's one thing, but Ski ain't no spring chicken. He's talking about getting married. And so I said, all right, let's do it. But then he asked me a question. Or we had a discussion, I guess. If I get married, though, we're going to lose our government benefits. And so now you're in this tension. Am I obedient to the word of God and trust that he's going to financially provide for me? Or do I continue living in my sin and be the liar that the word of God tells me that I am? And their decision came very quickly. Let's get married on Thursday. You got married on a Thursday, right? However long it took to get their certificate of marriage and to set up a time to meet with me. And they got married right here. Because they understood that we have to be in submission. God gave us the ability. That's the benefit. That's the glory of it. God gave us the ability to be in submission to the spirit of truth. And submission... He gave us a heart of flesh to be in submission to conviction. John 16, 8 says, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit of God was sent to you to convict you concerning sin so that you might be saved righteousness so that you may continue in Christ likeness and judgment so that you'll keep an awareness of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming after coming back for you and to live accordingly I can remember times in my life where conviction devastated me one time in particular probably the worst feeling of conviction I've ever felt is I just yelled at my wife I'm not going to tell you what I said because that's under the blood and it's gone. But we got in a fight and I said something very inappropriate to my wife. 
And she looked at me and she did this. She goes, okay, pastor. And the Spirit of God, man, just drilled me through. David said it feels like when he was asking forgiveness for a cease, it feels as though my bones are breaking inside of me. That spirit that you have in you, that spirit that we have in us, ought to convict us. Pay attention to that conviction. But don't just pay attention to it. Celebrate and praise God for it. When was the last time that you said, God, thank you for making me feel this bad about my sin? That's not a prayer we pray very often, is it? Thank you for breaking my bones. But we should because it proves intimacy. It proves that we have been moved from wrath to relationship. That we've been reframed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You know how it proves the intimacy? The same relational intimacy that let me know what my papa wanted from me, what my sergeant needed from me, what my wife desires of me, what my kids want, what you want. All of that happens because you don't carry the heart you used to carry. You carry a heart of flesh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. In that empowerment, give it confidence. In that confidence, submission. And in that submission, Christ-likeness. That's my prayer for you today. Is that we thank God for who we are and what he has given us. That he has reframed us from insensitive to sensitive because he loves us. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that your, your word has been so true. It is so true. God, that you saved us when we didn't deserve salvation, when we were still sinners, when we were still dead in our trespasses according to your word. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sinner, to die for Jim Cubic. I thought I was so horrible. You thought I was so capable and God I thank you that you've seen that in so many people in this room that you've given us your spirit God let us walk in that sensitivity that only comes from relationship with you I praise you God that you've done it I praise God that you love us enough to do it we worship you and thank you for it in Jesus name Amen